Welcome to the 108th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Evan Guilford Blake, a playwright and novelist and the author of a novel, Nourish. Also, I just wanted to take just a moment and ask again, if you listen to this podcast regularly, if you find it helpful, it would it would be a huge help to me if you could just take one or two minutes and leave a review in iTunes. That way, other people can have a greater likelihood of finding the podcast. Um, it really doesn't take that long. Just pull up iTunes and you can easily leave a review of the podcast, and it would be a huge help. Thanks, and stay tuned for my interview with Evan Guilford Blake. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Evan Guilford Blake, author of the new novel Nourish, published as an ebook by a new Dutton imprint, Gilt Edged Mystery. In addition to writing the novel Nourish, Guilford Blake is a longtime playwright. 18 of his plays have been published, and he has won 38 playwriting competitions. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to be here. Sure. Well, uh, first, can I have you read the first three or four paragraphs of your new novel, Nourish? I'd be happy to. <clears throat> Chapter 1, Tuesday, June 24th, 1947. Summer, 10 o'clock at night. I don't know why I was still at the office, probably because the options were either going home to Green Street, the cat, who was probably doing exactly what I'd do, lying in front of a fan, half listening to the radio, or going to a bar and sit in front of a fan, half listening to a jukebox. Either way, I'd end up drinking more than the doc said was good for my stomach. The bar would have more interesting things to look at, but it would also have a lot more smoke to tempt me. I might light up the cigarette I'd been keeping around just in case for the last year. Right now, it was where it usually was when I stayed late, in my mouth, unlit. The pack I kept it in was on my desk. And either way, some disc jockey or some other souse would end up playing Laura. I was trying to quit both. So I was here. It was hot as Hades in Los Angeles. I was working on creating a cross-draft with a fan next to my desk and the bigger one I'd brought in from the outer office, but the only things that were crossing were the beads of sweat dripping down my face. The radio was playing it again for the fifth or sixth time that day. I tried the classical station. That was what I usually listened to at home, at night anyway. But the reception here was lousy, probably something to do with the weather. There had been heat lightning three or four nights running, and the weatherman said we'd have the real thing sometime soon. I could have shut it off, but I didn't feel like reaching all the way across my desk. And besides, I'd built up a rhythm I didn't want to break. I tossed 38 bicycles in a row into my hat. Nine more, and I'd break my record. I was good at it. I should have been. I'd been practicing for a year. Great. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, if the listeners, <laughs> so if if the listeners haven't heard of your new novel Norish yet, how would you describe the novel? Um, I I would call it basically what uh, what we use as a promotion for it, um, an entertaining foray into the dark and mystical worlds of um, of film and and fiction noir. Uh, it's 
a detour into the realm of the fantastic that um, is kind of unusual, uh, particularly for noir, because people are used to reading a classic detective novel or the classic noir novel, The Double Indemnity or The uh, the Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep. This one is a cross-genre, and I can't give away too much, but it is definitely noir, quote, ish. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I, I know that some some genres of film and literature go in and out of style, but noir films have remained popular over the years. While there may not be many truly noir films being produced today, it's still a very popular genre. Why do you think noir, both film and literature, remain popular? Well, I think everybody loves the loner. Um, it's- it's the classic anti-hero, and one of the things I'm really glad to see, particularly in literature, is that you're no longer stuck with the detective, um, the uh, Philip Marlowe-type character or the Sam Spade-type character. We're getting a much broader range of noir central figures. There's African-American noir, and there's women uh, who are the, the heroines of noir, uh, and these are all to the good. And I think the genre has expanded considerably so that more readers are interested. I mean, when I grew up, what I loved was the Raymond Chandler type stuff, the Dashiell Hammett, the James M. Cain. But those were the only things that were available. And now um, there are noir-esque heroines uh, and noir-esque heroes who are not the standard white Anglo-Saxon male that I was used to, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Gotcha. Um, Do you remember when you first discovered noir films? What was your own introduction to the genre? Well, I don't remember the first one I ever saw, but it was probably Maltese Falcon. Um, I've seen Maltese Falcon more times than I can possibly count. Um, I won't even say it's my favorite, but it's the one that I think I like the best because it's the most, one of the most subtle. Um, I saw noir films early on, of course, on television when I was a kid. It wasn't until I reached my 20s that I began to take it seriously as a genre, and that happened more because I read the books than because I saw the movies. And after reading the books, I started going to see the films and comparing them to to the stories and uh, became completely wrapped by them. Um, the advent of DVDs, of course, has been a huge asset in recent times because a lot of films that you couldn't see uh, on, on television or even in, in revival houses uh, 30 or 40 years ago are now available, and I've discovered or rediscovered so many wonderful movies that I um, missed out on the first time around. My wife is partly guilty of, of that. She was a... Tyro in noir. She'd seen it, but she didn't really know it. And she saw the big five or six that, that we all know and love who um, are denizens of the, uh, the genre. And she went out and scouted around, and she found another 20 or 30 that we'd never seen, either of us. Uh, and I found people like Samuel Fuller, who uh, I really, really loved. And, um, oh, uh, Jules uh, um, Dasson. Uh, both of whom made wonderful noir films that I had never heard of before. 
That's great. Well, I, I know you've written many plays, as I mentioned at the at the introduction, and and now your new novel Norish is published. What's what's your personal story? When did you first start writing, and how did you end up writing for the stage? <laughs> well, I started writing when I was five. Unbeknownst to me, my mother took a poem that I wrote and sent it off to a magazine, and lo and behold, they actually bought it. They paid me five dollars. I felt you know rich and, and famous. <laughs> Um, I wrote my first play. My mother was a, was a playwright. She wrote for radio primarily, uh, and she wrote children's radio plays. Uh, for two years, she wrote two or three 26-minute children's radio plays every week. And I made my debut as an actor when I was uh, in one of her uh, plays on radio. I think I was six at the time. It was great fun. Anyway, she wanted me to be an actor. And um, so I, I started acting... And at the same time, I pretty much started writing. Uh, I wrote my first play when I was 12. It was terrible. <clears throat> and uh, it called for, among other things, a flying cat on stage. And then I switched to poetry like most adolescents will. And then I started writing short fiction. I wrote my first novel when I was in my early 20s. It was really, really awful. It will never see the light of day. Um, but um, I'd always been active in theater, and I acted regularly. I made my living as an actor for several years, and that led me into being curious about playwriting, but I didn't think I could write dialogue. And then between Christmas and New Year's of 1980-81, um, I was very frustrated. I really wanted to write something. I couldn't make any ideas work, so I took a monologue that I'd written for a friend of mine and said, okay, I'm going to turn this into a play. And lo and behold, a week later, I had a play. It wasn't a particularly good play, but the dialogue, which I thought I couldn't write, I could write. And that led me to uh, ultimately writing more plays. Um, I had my first play produced in 1991 or 1992, and by the time I'd written three or four of them, I said, hey, I can do this. And I've been writing plays ever since. Um... Creating a play is a collaborative effort. You need a theater, you need a director, you need uh, actors, and it can be very difficult for playwrights to try to get work produced. So three or four years ago, I started to go back to fiction, and I switch off back and forth between the two of them. And uh, the fiction I've had surprising amount of success with. I'm very happy with, with what's happened with it. But I still alternate between plays and fiction because I love them both. And and what is the major difference when you when you're writing a play versus a novel? And and I was curious if Norish originally started out as a play. Well, I'll answer your second question first. Um, Norish did start out as a play, um, and when you're writing a play, you have to depend on dialogue. Um, you need to show, not tell, the audience the story. That's kind of true in a novel too, but. You need to create actions uh, and words that will let the audience figure out what's going on um, subtly. It's called you know, using subtext, which is a, a thing that, that novelists use, too. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge and also the biggest reward, I think, a play is somewhere between 15 and 18,000 words, a full-length play. Um, it was taking this... 16,000-word play and turning it into a 50,000-plus-word novel. 
And that was the, the biggest single challenge. One of the things I love about the play is that it's very compact. But one of the limitations plays have is that you can't do a lot of um, uh, the kind of staging you would do, for example, in a film. Uh, you know, you can't do a car crash on stage. Uh, you, you can't have somebody jump from an airplane on stage. Right. But you can do in a book or you can do in a film. Um, the other thing is that you're limited in the number of cast members that you can use you, because theaters want plays that are relatively inexpensive to produce. So I limited the cast of the play to eight people, which necessitated eliminating some characters whom I wanted to have and changing the nature of some of the characters whom I wanted to have. For example, the um, the there's a character named Dan Scott. Uh, by the way, all the characters are named for uh, people who are frequenters of noir uh, film and literature. Uh, Dan Scott is a combination of Dan Duryea and Elizabeth Scott. Um, in the, the play, Dan is just a person. There's nothing to identify him particularly physically. In the book, Dan is a behemoth. He's huge. I've always envisioned someone like Richard Keel, for example, preferably an African-American Richard Keel, playing the role. Um, I can do that in the book, and if it ever turns into a film, hopefully that will happen too. Um, there's a cat in the, um, in the play called Green Street, named for my beloved Sidney Greenstreet, of course, um, who never appears in the play. You, they talk about him, you hear him off stage, but you never actually see him. In the book, he plays a fairly prominent role, and I love being able to, uh, to do that. So it's being able to expand the landscape that uh, helps with the book. And of course, in the book, the book is written from the first-person point of view, uh, and so I'm able to explore the psyche of the central character of the loner detective, Robert Graham, combination of Robert Mitchum and Gloria Graham, uh, which I was able to do to some extent in the play, but not as much as I wanted to. Gotcha. So what what is your writing process like? Do you have a specific workflow or uh, time of day that you work? What What is that like for you? Well, I endorse one of your one of your earlier uh, interviews was with Nick Santora and Nick uh, said you know you got to write every day well he's right you do have to write every day um, and I try to live by that um, this year I've been really really busy with going out of town on, on playwriting business so I haven't been able to do that but for the first six months of the year the first 180 days or so I probably wrote 179 of them um, I I have a, a pretty much basic regimen. Uh, I start off in the morning taking care of marketing business because I'm not awake enough until I've had two or three cups of coffee to do anything creative. Uh, and then I usually will work on two projects uh, at a time, one fiction and one uh, playwriting. So I will start early afternoon with whichever one is farther along. Right now I'm working on both a play and a novel, and I'm farther along in the play, so I start with the play. And I'll work on it until I create it at least a minute to a minute and a half of dialogue, uh, sometimes longer than that. I will go three, four hours. Then I'll take a short break, pardon me, and um, then I'll go back and start working on the novel again. 
uh, and I try to put in at least a thousand words a day um, on the novel, which isn't always possible again, but I really try to do that. And um, you watch them build, and they feed each other because they're they're different styles, but they're both creative, and they both enable you to think on your feet. Mm, um, one of the things I love about writing is the ability to do that. Um, another one of your uh, your interviews uh, with uh, Mark Chapman, you asked him if um, if he plotted his workout carefully, and he said, uh, I try not to overplot. And I agree with that, too. Um, I very rarely know where a novel or a play, I know where it's going. I just don't know how it's going to get there. And I let the characters work out the uh, the story for me, sure. which is uh, probably the most fun in the world. <laughs> That's great. What, what, what are some books or authors that you've read in the past year that made an impact on you and that you would recommend? Well, Right now, I'm reading The Kid, which is the sequel to Push, both written by Sapphire. Um, I try to read outside the genre in which I'm writing, uh, because, as Scott Fitzgerald said, a writer should read many books at the same time or nothing at all, uh, so that you don't pick up a particular writer's style. Um, I recommend both of them. I mean, she's a wonderful writer, and Push was made into the film Precious. Uh, the book is even better than the movie was. Um, they're both uh, really, really profound examinations of, uh, first, a young woman who's badly abused, and secondly, the kid who is this woman's son uh, about uh, a decade later. Um, I also read... Uh, just finished reading Karen Joy Fowler's What I Didn't See, which is a collection of short stories. Uh, she writes primarily in um, speculative fiction, but it's not the science fiction that I grew up with anyway, the, the Bradbury and the Arthur C. Clarke and the Heinlein. Um, her stories are real borderline reality, almost magical realism, and she's a wonderful writer. She's probably known for best for the Jane Austen Book Club, but um, her short stories and a couple of her other novels are just terrific. Great. So I recommend her highly. <laughs> and and what advice would you have for aspiring writers who would like to publish their own uh, novels or short stories, or in your case, uh, have their plays produced? Well, I mean, again, you go back to you've got to write every day. You've got to build up uh, a work, and then you've got to go back and rewrite um a lot of writers I know think they write the book and it's done, or they write the story and it's done, or they write the play and it's done. And that just isn't true. Um, the most integral part of writing is rewriting. Um, the first draft of Noirish, the novel, took me two months to write. <clears throat> the second draft probably took another month. And then I spent six months polishing it before I set it off for uh, agent consideration. Um, the play, the play has won two national awards, but I still don't think it's done because I've never had a chance to workshop it, to see it on its feet, to work with actors and directors and learn their questions. So my hope is to find the theater that's interested in the play that will let me spend a couple of weeks working to put the finishing touches on it. But beyond that, you need to write as much as you can uh, worst case scenario, 
You sit down, you review what you wrote yesterday, you add a few new words, you put it aside and come back to it the next day. You lose the thread of what you're writing if you don't work on it on a consistent basis. Um, and if you let it go for a week or a month, you may as well be starting from scratch when you finally do go back to it. Um, write what you know. If you don't know, learn. Um, when writing Warish, for example, uh, it was set in it set in Los Angeles in June of 1947, and the key event, uh, which I discovered purely by accident, was the uh, killing of Bugsy Siegel, uh, a notorious mobster who was shot to death in June 1947. Um, so I did all kinds of research on Los Angeles in 1947, on the U.S. in 1947, on the killing of Bugsy Siegel. Uh, and the Los Angeles of the novel is a fictional L.A. It's not the one that people who lived then would have immediately recognized. Uh, that's, again, part of the ish of the uh, of the title. But if you want to write about something or someone, you have to know who they are. You have to know what they're about. Um, one of the people I hope someday to write about is Laird Krieger, um, a wonderful actor who died of a heart attack in his late 20s, uh, because he was way overweight and had a surgery that, that uh, went awry. Um, and he's the villain in This Gun for Hire and the star of Hangover Square. Um, but I've got to do all the research about Larry Krieger and his life in order to understand what the man was really about and uh, know him well enough to make him identifiable for readers who may never have heard of him, or if they have, have only heard of him in the context of the movies that he made. Great. That, that, that's great to hear. Well, again, we've been speaking with Evan Guilford Blake, author of the new novel, Norish, which is available as an ebook now. Evan, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.